This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. अंग्रेज अपना लगान और न्यूज लॉन्ड्री अपना हफ्ता कभी नहीं छोड़ते वेलकम टू अनदर एपिसोड ऑफ हफ्ता फ्रॉम एन एक्सट्रीमली पोल्यूटेड डेली थिंग्स आर गेटिंग डायर हेयर एंड इट इज डिसग्रेसफुल नॉट मच इज बींग डन अबाउट दैट वी शेल डिस्कस दैर एन लिल बिट ऑफ डिटेल वी गिवन अनफ टाइम टू इट ऑन हफ्ता बट देर ऑलवेज नीड्स टू बी मोर टू बी सेट ऑन दिस टूडे ऑन द हफ्ता ऑन द पैनल वी हैव मनीषा पांडे हेलो मेहराज हेलो मधु त्रेहन आनंद वर्धन ज्वाइंस अस from bihar hi anand hello yes and we have joining us also on the phone line alok prasann kumar hi alok hi 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 anand hi everyone so i shall just introduce our guest who is not a hafta regular alok prasann kumar he is a senior resident fellow and team lead at vidhi karnataka you may have read his columns in the economic and political weekly he has a monthly column there his areas of research include judicial reform constitutional law urban development and law and technology he graduated with a ba llb from the nalsar university in 2008 and got obtained a bcl what is a bcl alok It's actually a master's in law, but I because see. Oxford University is Oxford University, they decided to call it a bachelor in civil law. <laughs> it's not a bachelor's degree, and it's not in civil law, but it's it's Oxford, so they decided to call it that. Okay, because they have different. I'm sorry, all again. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. I see. And then you write for outlets such as Hindu, Indian Express, Scroll, Quint, and Caravan. You practiced in the Supreme Court and Delhi High Court, and currently you co-host. The Gantantra podcast on IVM podcast. Welcome, Alok. Pleasure to have you on. Thank you. My pleasure. My my pleasure. My pleasure to be on this podcast. Also, just giving a little note to our subscribers and listeners, you can just delete our app. You should consume us from the web app. Uh, we have a migration happening. Our new CMS is going to be kicking in soon, and we'll have an all new website within two months. But before that, you'll see some changes happening already. and then the new app will take some time to get completed but till then we recommend you listen to us only through the web and not through our app until our new app is ready also pay to keep news free no matter which pl- podcast platform you're listening to us from come to newslaundry.com go to the top right hand corner click subscribe and pay to keep news free we take no advertising because when the public pays the public is served when advertisers pay advertisers served support independent media now Manisha what are the headlines before we get into the first thing i know we're going to go into ayodhya which happened the day after we recorded last week but other than that what else so uh, the supreme court has referred the matter of women entering the sabrimala temple to a larger seven judge bench last year they had basically said that women could enter there was a review petition filed after which supreme court said that uh, we are not going to stay on our judgment but we are going to refer it to a larger bench and interestingly they also said that this is not just about sabrimala this is also about women's in- entry to other places of worship so okay this could bring in matters of the uniform civil code a uh, supreme court also has rejected review petition uh, on the rafael verdict and uh, they have said that uh, they've also the clo- they have also closed the defamation case against rahul gandhi which led our news channels to say ki modi ji pure hain pure hain <laughs> of course the big 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 uh, news of the week has been the ayodhya verdict where the hindus are going to get the disputed site there will be a trust which will build the temple and 5 acres of land should be would be given to the sunni waqf board at a spot in ayodhya but it hasn't been decided where right then there was a maharashtra government formation Which? Yeah, there's still a lot of intrigue there. Uh, the currently it's under president's rule, but uh, Pawar has said that NCP and Sena and Congress are going to come together and form a government which will last for the next five years. 
There, what there, else was uh, there? There? W- there was also the JNU protest that got a lot of news. Students were protesting against hikes uh, for the mess and hikes in the hostel room charges. There was a lot of, I think, two to three days of protests. Uh, so no, it's did been the ABVP and the leftists come uh, unite in this? I think yeah, so, yeah. yeah they were yeah. all on the same page on this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a common student's protest. But there's a partial rollback. There was a partial rollback, uh, but... Which is when we thought the news would die, but then there were images of graffiti all over JNU, which again brought it back into news. And apparently Swami Vivekanand's statue was kind of, there was stuff written underneath it. Uh, The other big story was Kartarpur Corridor. Uh, The Prime Minister went there for the inauguration. Uh, Sidhu gave a speech in his typical Sidhu style. Also in other news, the economy is sinking. After Moody lowers India outlook to negative, for the first time, I think, in what, how many decades are... Industrial output, uh, no, the industrial output shrunk in eight years, but there was also a dip in consumer spending for the first time in four decades. So that doesn't look too good. And um, Atish Tasir, OCI having been revoked, has been, well, there's been a letter by many writers of major fame, huh, who have, who are urging the Indian government to give him back his OCI Orhan card. Orhan Pamuk and... Such as who? N- Orhan Pamuk, the Nobel laureate, yeah. All right. And he's also said that he's going to challenge this in the court. I see. In fact, we have an email from a subscriber about this. Then the Delhi government's claim that air pollution level reduced by 25% is false. Greenpeace India has said, according to their report, Saurabh Bhardwaj of Amadi Party has said that the centre in Safed David to the Supreme Court has said it is under oath that pollution in Delhi has reduced. So therefore it has reduced. For, <laughs> for once they're agreeing with the central and government. And as we speak, uh, we're witnessing again one of the worst days of pollution in Delhi. It's hit close to 900, 700 at various places and it's absolutely grey and pathetic. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we, and this is not a joke, seriously, from next year we're planning that the news laundry will shift operations out of Delhi next year for two months. Meanwhile, the inv- enforcement directorate investigates the son of the election commissioner who disagreed with the poll code. This is Ashok Lavasa's son. Abir Lavasa has a company in which he is a director. It's being investigated. And this is after they had investigated first his role in some other directorship, right? Yeah, they have been writing to a lot of departments asking for his old rec- records and stuff. So in in amazing coincidences, anyone who kind of has something un, you know satisfactory, unsavory to say about Mr. Shah or Mr. Modi ends up under some sort of investigation. <laughs> yeah. But first, let's talk about the biggest news of the last weekend to now was the Ayodhya judgment. So before we come to Alok, who has written a piece in the first post on this, which the link is below, or if you can check it out. The, the, what, what exactly was said? Alok, lay, us, lay the context and tell our listeners what you thought was wrong with the judgment. On the judgment, right? Um, the court sort of dismisses all the extraneous petitions in this case. The court basically makes it a simple contest as to whether the Hindu party, which is almost representing uh, uh, the idol of uh, Rama, or the Muslim parties represented by the UP Sunni Waqf board, whether they have proved their claim to the title of that particular property. And not just those 2.77 acres that are disputed. But the whole 60 odd acres of the land, which is the Ram Janmabhoomi. Now, what the court says is that, look, the adverse, let me very quickly explain what adverse possession means. Adverse possession basically means that if I am openly occupying and possessing a piece of property and nobody has challenged me and the owner also doesn't care, 
after a period of about 40 years, as per the law, the property has become mine. So even the owner can't take me out. If for 40 years I have said I I own this land, the uh, the owner hasn't challenged it, and therefore I I own the entire land. So therefore, that's why I established my claim. Either this property becomes mine. So, so that's 14 years. Like you're saying the cutoff for that is 14 years. Yeah, the cutoff for that is 14 years. Assuming that 14 years is met over here, all right? Okay. Let's let's assume both parties trivially meet the requirement of 14 years. Now the thing is, it's not a default, right? It's not like if two people are claiming uh, from, uh, from the same property on the basis of adverse possession, if one doesn't prove it, the other automatically gets it. That's mm-hmm. not true with property disputes. Whoever is claiming a property has to show the evidence, has to. You know, show all the documents in the title and whatever, and say this is before the court says yes, this person owns the property. So the bird, now, obviously, the... there is not going to be a title deed in this case saying this was owned by this person or that was owned by this person. So the court has to pretty much go through all the historical facts, has to look through all the you know uh, the materials which shows who actually controlled the property and therefore decide the case. So what you're saying is the burden of proof. Falls on both people. That's what you're saying. Yes. Not just on one. Yes. Right. Oh. Okay. Yes. So the burden of proof is on both people. So it is not like you know uh, just because the Muslim side fails, the Hindu side wins automatically. That's not true. Both sides have to prove this claim. Now, what the Supreme Court has said is quite puzzling. The Supreme Court has said, look, the major part of the property, the 60 odd acres of it, the Muslims never disputed since 1857. Okay, the Hindus were in occupation of it, but the crucial 2.77 acres, which the Babri Masjid sat on, the Masjid was on before it was demolished, they said it was always disputed. But because the whole thing is one property, they're giving it to the Hindus. Now, to me, this is a judicial sleight of hand. You are basically sort of making a few logical leaps without establishing what legal principle allows you to give entire. Title to the entire property based on like okay, you know, majority of it you've been holding. That is the legal technicality of it. And the larger problem is this. And other commentators have also pointed out the text that the court uses to judge the claims of the Hindu parties and the Muslim parties seems very different. It seems almost that the bar for the Hindu parties was much lower than the bar for the Muslim parties. Can you explain that? Which, why? Why is that? Which 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 sort of means to say that. For the Hindu parties, the fact that they believed that that part was that that actual part of the property was theirs is somehow considered sufficient. Notwithstanding the fact that you know the core of the Hindu claim to this property was two illegal acts, and the court is very cognizant of the illegal acts. Right. I mean, yes. we can't deny the fact on the ground that there was a mosque. The court also does not deny. It. We can't deny the fact that Muslims are offering namaz on that mosque, you know, since 1857. We can't deny that you know they they had a claim to that particular part of the property, but the court seems to sort of say that look, Hindus generally believe that this is theirs, so they're not giving them the whole thing, and that is to me what really is the shocking thing, because the two key things which really strengthen the Hindu case, right? And when I say strengthen, I don't mean in the legal sense, is the fact that the idols were placed in the, the middle under the middle dome in 1949. And of course, the destruction of the three domes of the Babri Masjid. The court recognizes that both of these particular acts were illegal, but at no point of time does it even address to itself the question: Am I letting someone take advantage of illegality? Right? If I want to move slightly to the side, there is a principle in family law which basically says that 
if you have committed murder, you can't inherit that person's property. So, for instance, uh, even if I uh, commit the murder of a person who might have, from whom I might have inherited the property, once I'm convicted for it, I cannot inherit that property. The law prohibits me from doing that. No one is allowed to take advantage of their own wrong in the law. It's a principle that applies. So what you're saying is here, the, they have taken advantage of their own illegal act of destroying the mosque and therefore because exactly. now there's nothing there. So hypothetically, yeah. if the mosque still stood, would the court have said, okay, now take it, destroy the mosque and build your temple? Basically, that logic is... There is, there is, there is no way they would have done that. There is sure. no way the court would have said, oh, well, you know what, and even though the mosque has been used as a mosque for all these years, and the only reason it has been stopped is because of a claim raised by Hindus, sure, we're giving you the mosque. I mean, there is no way that is happening. Right. Right? So, pretty, so but what, what the court has pretty much gone by is that, ah, oh, look, you know, we don't want to change the facts on the ground. So, you know, um, I mean, it's a cop-out of a judgment, right? It's a cop-out of a judgment. Sorry, sorry. I'll just get some views around the table. Then we'll come back to this uh, a bit. But Madhu, let me come to you first. Please remove the mask. We have air purifiers in our in our room because subscribers have subscribed to the last couple of weeks. So you yeah, don't. Yeah, but air purifiers can only do so much as we've discovered at home. Okay, so you'll continue to wear the mask and look mysteriously you like Batman. You can hear Batman. me. I can hear you. Yes, but it's just very strange to look All at right. you. No, but it's okay. But. So, let me first come to Madhu to air her views about the news about what happened in Ayodhya. So, Madhu, will you air your views first? No, I, enough has been said on it. I mean, you know, it's boring now. Okay, then what? <laughs> you have nothing to say about anything. Everybody stuck on the same then record. Give us some other big news. Yeah, here's the big news. It's not big news, it's just simple news. <laughs> okay. To everything, there is a season. Ursa Le Guin wrote... If time and reasons are functions of each other, if we are creatures of time, then we had better know it and try to make the best of it, to act responsibly. That's close quote. Nearly 50 years of journalism and now in the last years of my life, it is time to discover a new path. I choose to be excited by new thinking and ideas. I want to enjoy the thrill of the unusual and explore new vistas. My journey now pushes me towards working with young, underprivileged children. Will I write? Yes. I will freelance when I choose to and do interviews as a freelancer as well. So you will see me on news laundry, but as a freelancer. But right now, I choose the clear path of what I see as contribution to my country and time with my family. Newslaundry.com came into being seven years ago. My time with News Laundry has been a learning experience about today's web technology, learning from young people on how they think, and navigating obstacles that came our way. News Laundry has many talented professionals committed to creativity and quality. Mm. We've also had some great... Uh, support from subscribers as well as our investors. News Laundry is well on its way to success and managing well. I will always support News Laundry and of course uh, we'll do interviews and whenever as a freelancer. And be on Haftas. Hmm? And be on Haftas. And, and once in a while Haftas. <laughs> yes. And I, f- I feel confident about it also because I think News Laundry is on an excellent path to success uh, now moving on to the technological improvement and Abhinandan Sikri has a remarkable ability of not only being very creative in content but also is able to focus on an area which I have no ability to do which is to raise funds and make presentations which I find highly boring but he's very good at that and I think uh, our managing editor 
Raman Kirpal is I feel he's responsible and serious and so I think and with all the talent that we have in creativity with Manisha and Meghnath and all the animation and editors and everything I think we're News Laundry is in very good hands so Madhu we shall miss you very much but I'm guessing that we shall see you often on Hafta and other interviews maybe what is maybe yeah you just because <laughs> Delhi is so polluted you can't desert us desert hi kehta na desert nee, kehta you'll desert us desert us desert you eat acha you desert you eat desert you so eat Madhu, desert is the we'll, thing when you come back from this little trip you're going for we'll have to have a farewell party for you oh i so hate farewell parties no, yeah. but we have to have but you will still be the host of the media rumble so you shall open that but thank you madhu you have taught all of us so much Yeah. From the time I was 19 to now that I'm just a young 45-year-old. And I don't want a cake farewell party. I hate cakes. We'll have chaat. We'll have done. Papri chaat. So, that was a big announcement. So, uh, but yes, but Madhu will still be around. She'll pop in and out. She just won't be editor-in-chief. But she will still be our mentor and guide. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. Are you still here? Are you heading? Oh, you have to go? Okay, bye Madhu. Oh, you have to oh, go. She, she's bye. flying out. She's flying out this evening. Okay, Madhu. Bye. Have fun. Take care. We shall miss you. You're doing it like an actor. Bye. <laughs> But you're back in a week, right? I'm back on Tuesday. Okay. We'll see you then. Have a good trip and uh, come by office when you're back. And I especially want to thank Anand. Yes. Uh, I, out of all the people that I have seen in journalism, I think his evolution and change has been most intriguing to me because from the time he joined to what he is today. It's a really interesting complicated path. He's been I, he fascinates me frankly Anand you do. And you your writing is exemplary. I loved what you wrote about um session. Session. I was quite apprehensive that it would be only praise, but I think uh you wrote about his hubris in a gentle, respectful way which was good and I appreciated that. Right, Anand you got that? Yes. Uh, my evolution has been from a nobody to a nobody. So. <laughs> What did he say? My evolution has been from a nobody to a nobody. No, uh, let's not be self-deprecating. Part of the new Anand should say yes, thank you. <laughs> I was from a somebody to somebody even more. <laughs> so let me come to you, Maharaj. What is your view? What is your take on this? And how is it covered? I mean, the legal aspect of it has been covered like from all angles. You know. as alok also did brilliantly and we have some pieces up on the website also which you can read what i want to talk about is basically what it means for muslims hmm. so the day the judgment came we did a ground report from ayodhya so ayush our uh, correspondent spoke to this one person called shabir ali he's 75 years old he witnessed the destruction of the babri masjid and after that the car sevaks went around ayodhya killing muslims and setting houses on fire so he says he ran when he saw these guys coming so he ran into a graveyard and hid in an open grave hmm. so if you want a metaphor for the condition of muslims in india right now that's it merely to survive they have to pretend to be dead and this judgment what does it say basically it's like a full stop to this whole chain of events that started in 47 then gujarat 69 bagalpur assam gujarat again mumbai 92 the destruction of the babri masjid nobody has been been punished for any of that and now you come to this and you say okay now let's settle this dispute this was yours but we are giving it to somebody else basically telling muslims okay you are second class citizens accepted with grace 
and the rhetoric that has come from the BJP and even though like Congress and other parties is basically saying Simo accepted with grace so what's the big deal hmm. we are we are doing this for peace let justice be but if there's only peace and not justice peace without justice is peace of the graveyard hmm or what's the point right so now anand your reading of the verdict and and the commentary around it i think it would have been fair if see a prashna anup prashna raised the legal points it would have been fair if uh, somebody who was who, uh, who accepted the verdict more favorably would have uh, joined the full the legal commentary so i am excusing myself from the legal commentary uh, uh, of the legal points because uh, i think uh, there must be some counter points to what alok said that i am not uh, legally competent to comment on this. so first first uh, part is that uh, second is that uh, the court uh, has gone with the preponderance of probabilities uh, which is more heard in civil cases rather than uh, beyond all reasonable doubts so and in that uh, the from the construction of the babi masjid to the fighting of the legal suit in 1957 or 56 if i am not wrong now that that period of say i mean that the worship or suggestion or whatever that is that is what legal commentators have brought that that may have swung the it in the favor of the temple party but let us keep it that aside what is, has been more fascinating for it and though the judges have not stone it because the as asi report is not very clear on that it has chosen not to comment on that it has not said anything about that is there see there are two streams of historical memory one memory of uh, the dispute is what mehraj was talking about though it also has different shades say post 1992 up to the demolition of babri masjid but there is also another historical memory of the medieval vandalism or the destruction of a uh, lot of uh, uh, temples or even buddhist monasteries and they, so this kind of historical memory so people see it also as a response now now response may be creative also it may be revengeful also now creative response could be restoration uh, but uh, revengeful responses could be just say uh, violent acts and, uh, and 1992 the criminality of it was it was a, a violent uh, say catharsis of that but uh, as say I, in my review of william dalton post and i have pointed out that the thing is that what kapil komreddy also not very much sympathetic to right wing causes has also pointed out that there has been a tendency of being very much spineless and prudish about uh, as a lot of facts and uh, uh, like uh, say one kind of imperialism say european imperialism was destructive in india and another kind of imperialism was just cultural exchange program 
So that was not the case. Their uh, 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 invasions come with their violent destructions. We have to be more confident about confronting our history. Just the other day, I was moving around the Patman. There is a place called Bhaktiyarpur, and it is. Uh, uh, people assume it has been uh, has been named after uh, Bhaktiyar Sulji. Now. Someone, uh, a schoolboy, uh, uh, said that uh, we learn about Nalanda, that uh, this was a great ancient university, but it is burnt. It, it, we have our ruin, ruins only there. So why why people don't talk about it? Why only people talk about uh, that uh, we have this great ancient university? The point is that there is a very inconvenient fact that it was burned by invaders. So ASI reports says that there was a, a non-Islamic kind of structure, a structure, mm-hmm. but. It, whether it was demolished or not is not clear. It has it has been yes. silent on it. Right. But the, but what Nepal also in the older civilization says that I have, uh, or, or later in his interviews also said that it's not the only case. There are so the general general historical sensibility or general uh, response to that was that. Uh, the medieval evangelism has been whitewashed in its own textbooks. I'm so, not so uh, sure about that. Uh, yeah, I'll just. Yeah. I'd like to. Yeah, Manisha, you come in. You so actually, yeah, I just want to touch on two or three points. First, the ASI report. This is. It's wrong to say that the court was ambiguous about the ASI report. They dwell very deeply on it, and they very clearly talk about the fact that ASI report. We will not base the finding of a title on ASI report because what ASI tells us is there are ruins under the mosque, which could be Jain, Buddhist, or Hindu. But these are 12th century. The mosque comes up in 16th century. So there are four centuries where we don't know what happened. So there's no ambiguity on the fact that a temple was destroyed or not. There's simply no proof on the court of law that a temple was destroyed to build a mosque. Right. So because you could not prove that a temple was destroyed to build a mosque, the court rejects the ASI finding. I was saying the same thing that the ASI reports is not very clear about it, what kind of structure it was. It is only clear that there was a structure. There was a structure which and was non-Islamic, but two artifacts were also was, Islamic. There was a structure, and it was its origin was not related to Islam. Yeah, and so, uh, uh, that structure, there is no proof of that structure being a Ram temple. That also the court so, says. So, so it may or may not be. It may or may not be. It's not very clear about that. So, I mean, uh, anyway, I I am, uh, in the very beginning, I said that my comment is not about this particular case. I am just broad basing it. That the, uh, the historical narrative on both sides has been from the beginning only it is it has been projected as a kind of uh, say corrected to historical history. wrongs. But, uh, right. Supreme Court sure. is very clear that it, it is not corrected to history because the sovereigns, uh, that can only be done when the sovereign is saying so, that it owns the act of the previous sovereign, as I understand it in my limited understanding. So it cannot be, uh, uh, say, interpreted like that. That's it. Uh, so, I, uh, the okay. commentary around it is, again, again I, I, I say that uh, 
commentary around it has been on expected lines because people had their prior vocabularies about it they they were ready with their vocabulary then right wing was ready with its vocabulary that liberal left was ready with its vocabulary that how we would interpret so it has been quite boring the commentary and orange has been quite boring. yeah my only concern is yeah anand thanks anand uh, so yeah just coming in here yeah. i think my concern is not so much about the history as it is about the future i think um, for a nation that is significantly illiterate and i dare say governed by a cabinet that is also significantly illiterate i don't see what the fuck they have to do with history considering they seldom read a book it is the future that concerns me especially when after that you have the kind of uh, rhetoric of kashi and mathura being articulated not just by the expected usual suspects but by some new found hindus and that in my view is basically a, a pointer for them to say okay now we have give us an inch we take a mile and i don't see how anyone could have could claim that this is a surprise so while it's expected i won't call it boring i'll call it alarming but uh, manisha you had something to say yeah, on yeah, this no so uh, yeah the point that i was what i find fascinating about this judgment and i think which will really which is something to think of and how it will affect everything going ahead with kashi mathura or anything else so the court rejects asi's evidence the court also rejects travel logs and says that consulting the accounts on matters of public history is distinct from evidence on a matter of title so what they're left is with is testimonies now in this testimony the hindu side is asked you know the hindu side makes a claim that we've been praying to the inner courtyard before 1949 before the idols were placed so from 1934 to 1949 we were praying so the court asks there was no idol what were you praying to the hindu side says we were doing mental worship and meditation and there was a calendar you know there was some photo or hum bhog aarti and meditation and mental worship and the court accepts it the hindu side also says that there were never in namaz we never saw anyone doing namaz contrast to this the muslim side has a record uh, you know they have a waqf record uh, that says that there was namaz being offered and that the key in the lock of the mosque was with the muslim so obviously you know mm, that key they had access so i think when you start accepting first you put how do you put both claims on bar when one person is claiming mental worship and meditation while the other person is showing you records which is kind of proving the oral testimony wrong which means the hindu side was either not aware that there was namaz happening or they were lying so when you put both of these on balance then it's just you know mm. and yeah, that- I, i think op- that really opens up questions for future cases where you know define so basically i could mentally worship to any place and start claiming possession to that place which is you know it opens up a lot of things so may i just come in like uh, sure. what anand was talking about about there being historical wrongs and correcting them and all that i mean this discussion is fine for history books it's fine for academic debates should a court be dealing yeah, with this stuff yeah there are two separate issues and another that. thing there was a structure underneath whether it was destroyed whether it was a temple why does it matter this is a country which has been populated for 5 50000 years mm. you dig anywhere you'll find something sure and also i um, i want you to uh, ask alok something uh, alok can you hear me yeah i can go ahead so my question is should the supreme court of the republic of india be educating disputes that are from before the formation of the republic like this dispute for example what is the constitutional and legal morality of doing such a thing or the convention in other yeah. parts of the world yeah so it, it, it's not an issue i mean that 
question alok uh, i just want to connect today's supreme court uh, not today's that today when was the sabrimala thing happened yesterday 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 uh, when they say that like justice chandrachur and justice nariman have said that women should be allowed uh, the yeah. chief justice of india along with the other two justices have said that i mean you cannot religious faith has to be kept into account or something of the sort right what what exactly have they said that matters of religious faith you have to keep faith into account or something of the sort so but so, in in this to really clarify that um, they have delivered a dissenting judgment saying that there is nothing to be examined in the sabrimala case what we decided last year stands it holds good as the law and the government should just follow it um and i they sort of again in the earlier judgment uh, in 2018 when deepak mishra was chief justice of india they pretty much said that you know like yes faith has its place but there's no question of saying my faith is clear over the constitution in all circumstances that is not what the constitution uh, intended and more specifically just coming to the sabrimala case you can't pass a law putting the faith above constitution that is what like, the last judgment was yeah that was what the specific judgment was let's not go into very vague principles here. let's get down to the specific sabrimala the specific question was can a rule be framed contrary to the uh, constitutional mandate that women can, uh, should not be discriminated against The simple answer was no. I mean, there is another technical legal answer to that question, but that's not the point. And fair enough, the court has gone into the larger issue. You cannot, by law, enforce a certain kind of religious uh, prohibition that goes against constitutional principles. Now, to be fair, the Supreme Court has always wavered on this issue. It has not had one very consistent approach to it. Sometimes it has said no, you cannot, and sometimes it has said yes, you can. I can see where the Sanjay Gogoi majority judgment is coming from when they say yes, maybe this should be considered by a larger bench. But for them to have done it in this context and in this manner, I think it's just a cop out. They're just afraid of saying what they ought to have said. I see. This is the same thing that happened with Aadhaar also, right? They let it left it hanging for a long time until like it was sort of until it, yeah. you could unscramble the egg. Yeah, exactly. So, it was so scrambled into everything. It was everywhere, everything. so they just now, said, okay, let it be. Yeah, it's like once the egg is scrambled, you can't unscramble it. So yeah. you wait till it's, it's not, completely scrambled. The only difference, though, to be fair, to be fair, is that they have not stayed their previous judgment, which means women still have the right to enter the Sabrimala temple, and that and that the Kerala government must take all efforts. to ensure that women are allowed into the sabrimala temple that part of it they have not interfered with so that's fine so people can still take the benefit of the 2018 judgment to enter the temple but this this oh you know we want all these issues reheard again and we want to club all these issues again to me it doesn't seem to come from a good faith good faith question of the law it seems to me that you know we don't want to piss off too many people with our judgment so let's find a way not to do that right 
Got it. So I'll just read an email from a subscriber, um, and then we'll come back to many of the other issues that we have to discuss. This email is from Amit Kamble. Amit Kamble says, "Hello, NL Hafta team. Hope you guys are doing well. I don't really want to spend words on praise, as there is a word limit. But I love you guys." This email is only to respond to recent comment in passing by Madhu on Hafta 249. She was referring to Obama's criticism of Twitter movements. Although I get that Twitter can be toxic and a stupid place, but context of Obama not liking Twitter is different if you follow American politics closely. Recently, Obama has been criticized for many things, like for helping banks rather than helping five million American families who lost homes during recession, for being deporter in chief. He deported more than three million people. Cages for immigrants, tear gas on immigrants was all Obama's invention. Trump took it to the next level. For him adopting a right-wing healthcare plan, Obama was Obamacare was formerly known as Romneycare, and left 30 million people uninsured. For him taking a number of wars America participated in from two to seven. For him opening the Arctic for offshore drilling for Exxon. Overall, him being a status quo president when he campaigned as a progressive agent for change. All criticism and attack on his legacy comes from you guessed it, Twitter and Facebook. So he really doesn't like social media. Recently, Abhinandan praised the decision of Twitter to not take political advertising, but that affects campaigns like Sanders, Gabbard, and other non-status quo candidates who rely heavily on social media ads. They can pull off massive numbers due to their campaigns on social media and digital platforms. Mainstream candidates like Biden don't have huge fan following on social media. Madhu mentioned that Sanders didn't have a chance. But he has actually raised more money than anyone on the back of small donations, 25 million in Q3, and has more than one million volunteers working for him, more than anyone else in the race. He is doing better in polling than most candidates in swing states. He is blacklisted in mainstream media as he is proposing a tax to the rich, the category in which many of the TV hosts and CEOs come. I would suggest you check more independent media, similar to News Laundry, instead of CNN, MSNBC, ABC, New York Times, Washington Post, etc. Thank you, Amit Kamble. Thank you, Amit, for the email. Just to um, clarify, when I said it's a good idea for Twitter not to take political advertising, I think why that will help is while I understand that people like the ones you mentioned rely heavily on social media. If you have a lot of money, you can dominate social media. Basically, big money can completely whitewash anyone from social media using ads. Whereas, if you have an organic campaign like Sanders does, then I think social media would still benefit him. Because he will have people rooting for him on social media, whereas if someone comes and just puts in ten million dollars and dominates, you know, trends and all that, just like you know, manufacturing trends right now is easy on Twitter. So I think net net it would still be a good idea, but that's just you know where I'm coming from. I think the basic thing about this should be that one person or CEO of the of Twitter or Facebook, he shouldn't have the power to decide what goes and doesn't go, like what somebody wants to. Put on Facebook or not Facebook? That that's like very undemocratic, and it's a danger to like, especially Sanders campaign and others. They're trying to like. But if it's just a standard across, there's no political advertising. It's basically it's not this political ad is okay and that one's not. Yeah. No political advertising is okay. No, but then like we were speaking, uh, talking about it the other day. So then it has to be a public utility kind of a thing, like these people are now saying. So. It'll be run like you run an electricity company. Okay. So maybe if you have to pay for it through taxes or whichever way, these two three people shouldn't have, shouldn't decide what two point three billion people or two point five billion people. See. So what you're saying is the decision making. The yes. decision making cannot just be the CEO or the board. Yes. It's too big a platform. It is too big a platform and too important a platform now. I see. Um, okay. So, th- okay. Thank you for that for that email, Amit. Before we move on to you know three or four other things that. 
would dominated headlines does anyone have anything else to add on the ayodhya verdict or sabrimala anand manisha well just on anand's point i i do i mean it is true that when you, i've been reading a lot about it and watching a lot of stuff and it's true that the faith of this land being of importance to hinduism is not something that came with bjp it's been a very long standing you know faith among people that this is where ram was born and ram was kind of and there was obviously this perception that this is more important to us than a mosque for the muslims who have plenty of mosque everywhere else so javed anand actually had a very interesting piece in the express where he kind of said that the muslims failed in uh, maybe you know moving back a little on this and that could have helped the rise of the right in the way that it did and i think atal bihari vajpayee had appealed to muslims back then that we will help you brick by brick take the masjid somewhere else and build it with you you give us this because this is our ram and i i mean i was just thinking that maybe there was no other way to this than to have a ram temple there because this is such historical uh, i mean baggage of faith mm-hmm. but maybe it shouldn't have happened in the court if this could have been arrived at with although i think we the, haven't seen the communities f- coming together yeah, or I, deciding I, i still think we don't haven't seen the final act yet i think what you said some muslim organizations are actually accepted and i saw an interview yesterday what? W- that we will m- help move the mosque but there's so many entities involved including for example the guy who was rejected from the hindu side which is the third party who nirmoya the supreme court nirmoya, nirmoya khada i feel i feel yeah. the worst for nirmoya khada because these guys have been fighting for so long and they have gotten nothing at the end of their life but what i'm I saying is there's so many uh, so i think some muslim organizations have accepted that formula of atal bihari vajpayee some hadn't also i don't think we've seen the final act of this yet wait till this trust is formed and wait till you figure out the ladai jhagda of who will be on that board of that trust yeah, i don't think i mean it's it's not this is not the final act and i think in something like this when there's so many people involved and tomorrow let's say one more some you know kali mata trust gets set up for you know gender or some dalits or hindus marginalized hindus so in something so complicated as religion i think like when you say that right now india as a nation state is taking decisions for india as a nation state i actually find it rather problematic and i honestly cannot understand the thinking where historical wrongs that existed in a time that predates the nation state like when ashoka whose pillar is you know a national symbol before he became the buddhist caused you know what he did the kalinga war they said there were just bodies everywhere that's what kings did are we saying that he was a murderer he murdered thousands how dare his this thing be here i find imposing today's value system of a nation state to a time where the nation state didn't exist is bizarre and i really would like anyone to answer this simple question that how can you do that how can you hold the indian state responsible for does that mean i can hold a patiala as a city responsible for the fuckery the maharaja patiala used to do and say now today you pay me reparations for that can i do the same to we can't even do that with the british to so. the sindhya can i i mean i i don't understand how that works sorry someone was trying to come in here it, it, it is yeah see first is that there is no uh, the wars were always bloody and uh, all wars in ancient india were as bloody so but uh, we get references for that we, we get uh, bloody wars is expensive but 
the invading, the invasion, the actual interface of what the what the invasion did for other people of other persuasions. That has been people have been very selective in uh, institutional history about writing about that. That I have uh, uh, what I have seen in my school textbooks, what I have seen in university textbooks, what I have seen in my years of teaching. So I think those are two different things. Second is that was the, my point about correcting children wrongs. I, I think there was lack of clarity in my articulation. Some one pointed out that is not the job of the courts. I precisely said that that is not the job of the court, and the Supreme Court said I think in its judgment that that is not the job of the court. It is basing its judgment on. Uh, the findings of the, or uh, the type, uh, title claims. It, it is a title claim uh, judgment. Third point is about that. All we don't know the actual evidence submitted. We actually don't know. I think a good way of doing it would be to make the evidence submitted public. And uh, for both, so, so examination has been uh, in, in absence of actual uh, knowledge about the evidence submitted. Why the Supreme Court says that the uh, certain party has a uh, lot more evidence about its claims? So we we actually don't. It has been a court proceeding till now. No, actually, oh. it's quite clear. The thousand-page judgment goes into details of what evidence it has. It's all there. A lot of people have written on it. Uh, they said we won't base it on these these things, but they did exactly that. After mm-hmm. that. Also, coming back to what uh, Manisha was talking about, that Javed Anand piece, mm. I read that. But frankly, I mean, it's like blaming the victims. If Vajpayee is going to a Muslim person and telling him, "We'll go and help you." move the mosque compromise always happens between people who have equal power in mm. this case this is the prime minister who a day before babri masjid was demolished made that infamous speech zameen ko samtal kar denge mm. will demolish the mm. mosque will mm. blood of river and all that and then he is going okay now let's do compromise i'll help you move the mosque yeah i mean in hindsight that. you not... don't know maybe the muslim parties were also thinking we give this and then everything because the ट्री लाइक Who's the invader? For example, if five thousand years from now some Marathas said that fucking Bombay has been taken over by Punjabi, you know whether it's B R Chopra Studio, whether it's Yash Raj Studio, it's Kapoor. Punjabis run the fucking film industry, and these are the temples of pop culture. So, will the Punjabi be looked at as an invader? You know, and I'm not meaning frivolously. Genuinely, five thousand years from now, who knows what? Because there was no state, there was no nation of Maratha, for example. So what is the invader? I, I mean, at that time, I guess people were wandering all over the world, and and also as far as history is concerned, I remember in my history books, Khilji, Temur, Lung, all were look like written as villains. Even the Temur Lung's drawing was very interesting <laughs> in my textbook. He has Kana and but anyway, yeah. J- 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 what who's invading what? I mean, this is very convenient that you stop this idea of invader 
in 11th or 12th century when the Muslims started coming. Hmm. Why don't go further back? Because now there's plenty of scientific no, evidence saying that everybody came no, from what somewhere. What is an invader? I mean, that's before yeah. the concept of nation state. Like, I'm curious, what is an invader? Because is, like I said, yeah. are Punjabis invaders? 5,000 Also, another thing, when the Mughals came, they didn't invade Hindu India. It was a Muslim sultanate which was in like Delhi. It was right. a Muslim empire. There was a then sultanate. And they invaded a Muslim empire. Same, Taimur did the same thing. Hmm. Abdali did the same thing. Also, I think the damages of an invasion, quote unquote, you would really show it as something terrible or horrible today or talk about it if it meant that the damage was so that the thing that they invaded didn't exist. But Hinduism continues to exist. We are a majority country. Yeah, I mean, the religion of the flourishes, the people flourish. So it wasn't the, an invasion in a way that... The, destroyed also, us as a But religion. also the thing is when we say the invasion destroyed us, already pre-invasion, that sentence assumes there was an us pre-invasion and that us remains. That sentence in itself, I know you didn't mean it like that, has inherent in it that India is a Hindu state. True. Yeah. And that is a problematic you know, you're right, and in fact, that is the narrative that yeah. has been carefully cultivated. No, that it was a Hindu country, and Muslims came, then the British came. I don't; they don't talk so much about the British, but Muslims came and did whatever. But that's because the Anglo yeah. Indians are not that's enough true. for vote. In fact, then historians <laughs> talk about. I mean, before the before Islam came into the picture, there were Vaishnavites and Shaivites fighting each other, yes. destroying each other's temple, fighting over land for which temple will be built on which land. So, yeah, and there wasn't a composite Hindu culture exactly. also. Anand? First thing, there is always a precedence of antiquity. So, a precedence of antiquity is that, you see, there are people who invaded. There has been a tendency that destruction, whatever little destruction that has been talked about. You see, there, the kind of destruction, a lot of destruction had had a uh, motive had a motive, a religious motive. That motive has been whitewashed. What when we see uh, medieval history, particularly written, we don't get absolute references to that, and that, that is uh, a bit problematic. And uh, maybe the uh, that uh, everything was very syncretic. Everything was very accommodative. That is not an uh, uh, that is not exactly accurate to the historical depiction of that. I I mean I don't disagree with you, but I don't quite agree with you either. A my history books had jazia's attacks that was imposed on non-Muslims. I remember reading about jazia. Uh, which was actually oh, that, that is just a period that that may be an administrative measure also I think there is a certain um, morbidity that uh, is expected to be taught to children I mean I even though I am extremely um, sensitive of self-conscious of and disgusted by the caste oppression that my community has inflicted on others I wouldn't want the details of that to be taught to my 10 year old nephew I think they should be aware of it but the kind of detailing that is expected to be taught to children I'm a little disturbed that is an expectation of adults that they would like to pour that venom into such young minds I think you should be aware of it and I think our history books are aware of it at least mine were but to what extent and detailing one wants to go into is what is of concern to me also, another. I mean, sorry. Did I you come in? Is there any history book? I, I is there any history book that anyone's read where the Brahmin oppression? I 
I didn't even get that from history. I got that once I became an adult. Has 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 that been documented in any Not history reading? No. Sorry, go ahead, Anand. Yes. Yes. So, if you, though I don't agree with the school textbooks should not have facts. I think they should have. Uh, university university texts also. The, uh, you see those which are very hallowed texts by so-called very eminent historian have whitewashed this, and those who were willing to bring light on this were discredited. And this I have seen from close quarters, business hmm. personal experience. So. I can vouch for that. Right. Uh, second, uh, second is one closing comment I would like to, uh, from my side on Ayodhya. Sure. Is that we live in uh, we live in times of uh, say social media where we are very opinionated about issues, and we go on arguing and arguing without any closure. So there is now we are in the same mode. Now there is something called a state which came that okay both arguments both arguments may have some solid points both sides, but mm. we are giving you that who had the better argument. Now uh, this is very uh, unacceptable for a society of uh, our times where one is saying that one opinion is better than the other opinion. Mm. Now. That that has become precisely the difficulty with accepting uh, it for a lot of people because uh, they are um, not. Uh, we are not living in times where uh, just a judicial decree can say that your opinion was better than mine. Now, uh, uh, but uh, we have to uh, somehow, since it is a state decision, you, you have to accept that. Now, uh, the, uh, you see, uh, if you look at both uh, arguments from both sides, you may say, that, okay, this is a solid point. Okay, this is a solid point. But uh, what if someone says that he has no solid point? I, so I, I want to ask, yeah. but I just, sorry, one quick point I want to make was that a, uh, just because someone thought one argument was better doesn't mean I have to agree. For example, I think it was Gogoi only told us all to stand before that national, national anthem. anthem. I think it's... It was the previous CGI, uh, Deepak Mishra. The, it was Deepak Mishra. Yeah. I think it's a really dumb decision and I continue to think it's a dumb decision. So it doesn't matter who thought it was a great idea. Uh, secondly, it's not a binary that black or white, good decision, bad decision. How did you arrive at that decision? I would, I can critique a decision that it's a bad decision or I can critique a decision it is a dishonest decision because the logic that it applies to itself is actually unsound. So those are two different things. Uh, the question, like usually it's said that medieval kings did this thing for religious reasons, this for political reasons. It was never so black and white. Hmm. Because unlike today, when the rulers, they have a mandate, you elect them. Hmm. Back then, the only authority the king had was that he was chosen by God, usually. That was for the Christians, for the Muslims, and even Hindus. So when wherever they went, like every monument you go to, every palace you go to, there's a temple next to it, there's a church next to it, there's a mosque next to it. Because the temporal authority they claimed came from that. Was so it was a... The divine it, right it, to it, rule. it was part of asserting their political rights. It wasn't merely religious. So even when sometimes they broke temples or... You these can't things, distinguish Yes, two, so it right. wasn't black and white is what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah, Anand, last word. No, 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 not the last word. I was just saying that I didn't say that one has to necessarily agree to it. What I was just analyzing why it is more difficult now to accept things because we, we social media has made us more and more argumentative about things. 
Okay. It's a very I, small minority it, that's it, not accepting it. So in, most in, majorities accepted it. In my case, it, it, I won't blame social media. I was like this before social media came out. <laughs> but um, Alok has to leave us because he has another uh, you know, appointment at 6. But Alok, before you leave us, I just like your comments. You uh, work at you know, Vidhi. Yeah. Just give us an idea. What exactly does Vidhi do? So what we do is we carry out legal research and we help government at union and state level make better laws which we hope leads to better governance. I see. So, is there a policy paper that can be written or are you working on, or if News Laundry were to approach you, on a policy paper on environment, what can and cannot be done, the do's and don'ts, because... So, we have, we have, done, we have done quite a bit of research on this. We have been working on the last two, in the last three, four years, actually, on environment and so on. We, in fact, have a couple of reports on uh, Delhi pollution specifically. Um, like what legal measures need to be taken and what uh, where the government is failing to undertake these legal measures. They're on our website. We actually have a dedicated portal called Fighting the Dust, okay. which looks at measures with regard with respect to uh, uh, construction dust. And we have like outlined a various a series of uh, uh, recommendations on what the government, state, and center can do to address the pollution. Oh, interesting. Okay, I want to move on to the Rafael case. And before I ask Alok about this uh, judgment about is it a clean shit, is it not? Just some context. Yesterday was a very busy day for the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said that there is no reason for them to order any investigation into the allegations of corruption against the Narendra Modi government in the purchase of Rafael jets from France. They said it's a government-to-government contract. That was used by Times now saying... Supreme Court says Modi is pure or something like that. Um, Modi is pure, pure, not even is. I mean, they Modi got is it pure. Wrong. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and and Rahul Gandhi was told to apologize to the court for using their name to say that Supreme Court ne bola hai wo corrupt hai, which he didn't, and he Chaukidar apologized. Chor hai. Chaukidar chor hai. That was a context. I think there is some confusion about that, at least in my mind. So before you go, yeah. if you could just kind of clarify that, what the judges have said is that. We can do a fishing expedition that there's some corruption based on just one allegation of Rahul. But yeah. uh, one judge has written uh, a view that if the CBI wants based on the complaint, they can lodge an FIR. But this does not... I mean, they're saying there's no evidence for us to order uh, an inquiry or an investigation or that is not our job. But yeah. that the converse is not true that no corruption happened. I mean, that's not what they've said, right? I mean... Just what is the... Yeah, so, so the just, to, just to clarify, as the previous... Yeah, exactly. Uh, in the sense that there's like... There's a, at whatever has been placed before us, we immediately don't see any corruption. Uh, although one judge took a slightly contrary view. Uh, but uh, also in the review, they're like, look, whatever further material you have shown before us does not show corruption. Again, let me just clarify this one point. We're not talking about a very general kind of corruption. It is something which can be punishable under law. And as it stands, our laws need to show some sort of quid pro quo. And if you're saying there was a decision maker who has received something, therefore it's corruption, then it's a good reason to start. You can't start a corruption case by saying, I don't like this decision. Or I think it was a bad decision. Or I think a better decision could have been taken. Right. That's not the basis for our investigation. Unless somebody can at least show, show me something, right? As a, as a judge. As, show me something which shows that this person could have benefited from it. And then I can say, okay, investigate if this benefit is actually linked to this particular um, decision taken by this person. Only that can even talk about corruption. So very broadly, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think that on, on, on my own reading of it, 
I don't think a clear-cut case was made out to say it is criminal. Does not mean a it's a good decision. Does not mean that something can come out in the coming months to sort of so say that it was in fact criminal. So the court is not, and I hate to use this word, given anyone a future. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Alok. We'll let you go. I know you have another appointment. Thank you so much. Sorry about the sure. delays. I no appreciate problem. you having Happens given us the time. It was my pleasure being on this podcast. All right, take care. Have a good day, man. All right, bye bye. So, uh, before I move on to this whole Atish Tasir, because it's such a juicy subject to talk about, I'm going to read a mail. But does anyone have anything to add on the Rafael deal, Anand Manisha or Miraj? No. You, your views on this, <laughs> uh, on the coverage, the narrative around it, or does it finally lay this to rest? Or Anand, you think our social media habit? They, Congress will still rake it up, although it'll be politically disastrous. It'll be disaster. dumb if they do it. They they do dumb things. Any views on this before we move on? Listen till they find something concrete. I think the three judges agreed on the substance of the judgment, hmm. but Justice Joseph uh, had a more detailed. It uh, uh, wrote a more detailed one in which the CBI thing was that that. Uh, Based on the current uh, evidence submitted, I say the three litig- uh, petitioners, uh, Mr. Bhushan, uh, Mr. Sina, and Mr. Shori, and uh, also maybe on the records, I think uh, Hindu and Karawam, the, 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 the case does not uh, hold water. But uh, CBI just uh, some media publications or some random petitioners, it, it is a um, the proper uh, investigative body of the state. So if it wants, it can go into more details. That That's how I how uh, I understand it is. I see. So I have another a couple of emails. Uh, this one is from Nidhi Raichand. Uh, Nidhi, hi Nidhi. I remember you. You were there at the Bangalore subscribers meet. So Nidhi writes, I had the pleasure of meeting the News Laundry Bangalore community earlier this week and it did not disappoint. At one point, Abhinandan asked the group why we subscribe. And by the time it was my turn to speak, I had a million reasons that I tried to express in the most jumbled up and incoherent manner. As I wait today for the Ayodhya verdict, I simultaneously look forward to the post-verdict analysis on Hafta. And that's when it struck with startling clarity why I subscribe and why I love News Laundry Hafta. Listening to Hafta is like having the discussion I hope to have but never can. In real life, all our debates around politics, social issues, religion, etc., devolve into the most unpleasant screaming sarcasm matches where at some point a third party comes and hands the warring sides a drink each and tries to change the subject. Then we all fake a tentative laugh, remember what an early morning we have the next day and end the evening. I love the disparate views that come together on Hafta. Nobody is claiming to be right and nobody is trying to change another person's opinion. Please keep up the great discussion. Also look forward to all your other future plans. Thank you Nidhi for that wonderful email. Very sweet of you to have come. Very sweet of you to subscribe and I am truly encouraged and invigorated when subscribers like you send us good wishes and more importantly, send us funds through credit cards. Call me shallow like that. But uh, I'll uh, come to the Atish Tasir email later because we'll end the discussion with that. I first have, you know, we've gone on very long already today, but I had a provocative little thing, nugget that I wanted to discuss. Shivam Vij wrote a piece, I think, in the print saying that what happened in Maharashtra, context listeners, Maharashtra, no government is formed, it is president's rule. While the BJP is the single largest party, they cannot form a government without the Shiv Sena. Yeah. The Shiv Sena says, we will not support you because 
Uddhav Thakre thinks that they've been treated very badly and he wants to break Amit Shah's arrogance. Meanwhile, uh, NCP did way better than they had thought Mr. Pawar's resurrection. So they are also kingmakers and Congress is like kind of figuring out what's going on, let's get out of that way. So now it appears that the Congress, the NCP and the Shiv Sena will get together and form a government where for two and a half years there'll be the Shiv Sena Chief Minister, For two and a half years, there'll be the Nationalist Congress Party Chief Minister from Mr. Pawar's party. And for all five years, there'll be a Deputy Chief Minister of the Congress Party and they'll also get the speakers. There's such a formula. Now, Shivam Vij has said that this was a trap laid by Amit Shah, which is why he's letting it happen because he could have prevented it from happening. And if this survives five years, then you can see all these, you know, corrupt opportunists got together. Mahamilavat. Mahamilavat and therefore they gain... If it doesn't survive five years, he says, see, without BJP, no one can survive five years. So both ways he's gained. It'll be like Karnataka Redux. Basically. And in the short run, the, yeah, and it'll be like Karnataka Redux. And in the short run, these guys may have gained, but in the long run, BJP's gained. I think it's complete nonsense. <laughs> I want to know, first of all, I want to know any politician who's thinking long term, show me a CEO other than News Laundry who's not thinking quarter on, I'm talking about public limited company. If you're a fucking public limited company, You have to see your next quarter's fucking earnings, how you are doing on the stock market and give results. Nobody's thinking long term, how is my company doing? You'll do 10 lochas to make sure that your stock doesn't fall. I believe that's how the leaders of today and political parties think. I don't think anyone has any clue of long term because genuinely no one has any clue of long term. What happens? Tomorrow is a Lehman moment. But you keep doing all your Mahamilavat and all you're yeah, going to lose. I think it's a bit much to think it trap lake. I mean, that's crediting Amit Shah with like seriously Chanakya like qualities but I don't think he could have predicted how NCP Congress like the three different quite even mercurial if, parties at play I don't think he could have thought that now they'll come together and then even if he could have thought of it does anyone think that long term in politics I do I genuinely don't believe anyone thinks that long term no I think they just care about forming the government and if they yeah it's immediate I mean it's, it's like a public limited company like I said what's your next quarter going to look like that's all there is also I think the problem with this kind of I'm not criticizing this piece particularly I'm saying in general this kind of political punditry it misses a very important point this horse race kind of analysis what I was talking about like I think a couple of weeks ago that political social and economic power in this country is concentrated with this small band of a population upper caste upper class population and this proves it shiv sena rabidly communal killed a lot of muslims in 1992 nc and congress supposedly secular great parties and now they are aligning together as if like there's no difference between the two hmm. and karnataka you have 1917 uh, mlas from congress and jds joining bjp yes the yes. ones who were disqualified yes exactly i mean there's it's the same for them Sure. So what is the big deal if like 2000 Muslims die on the way so no big deal. Right. What do you think Anand does anyone think long term yes, or yes, not? Uh, I completely agree. See uh, I have uh, used it as a cliche in my writings also that in politics uh, um, the immediate always trumps the essential. Right. So, uh, so uh, what uh, is see what are the imperatives for uh, both uh, the prc uh, i think sipshina uh, ncp and for congress it is very important that to break the momentum of the bjp so uh, they they would go the extra mile to break the momentum so breaking momentum is important in electoral politics 
and bjp you see uh, being in a comfortable position nationwide but uh, if mr which thinks that he, they are eyeing uh, long term his logic must be that uh, being comfortable the perception game uh, they they are comfortable enough to look at the perception game right nationally but you see what are the logistics political logistics i mean with which the opposition is working opposition is working with the imperative of breaking momentum a big state bjp losing a big state like maharashtra hmm. would, would be would be a, a kind of you say speed breaker kind of thing and also this thesis assumes that in 5 years they won't do anything that can make them attractive which is one hell of an assumption i mean ah no no only very very say uh, very fanatically ideologically driven parties which have a very core ideology and no uh, say pragmatism this script works but that is no longer true for any political party yeah. in the world right i mean it's a cliche that a week is a long time in politics yeah but it's I true mean, also yeah, yeah. but um, Okay, I have one email after which I'd like to come to the whole uh, Atish Tasir thing and then we can end with uh, the JNU protests if we can just get some clarity on that because the whole thing of how much is the fee hike and is that too much? And in fact, Smita Prakash's tweet has been um, attacked by a lot of people. Rightly so. Uh, rightly so, but I yeah. I find it stifling, this kind of ki tum ye kyun nahi padte, wo kyun, it's typical Indian parent ki science is low. आठ पढ़ के क्या मिलेगा सो दिस ई मेल इज प्लीज यूज माई फर्स्ट नेम ओनली सो आई ओनली यूज फर्स्ट नेम सुहास ही सब्सक्राइबर सो थैंक यू सुहास फॉर सब्सक्राइबिंग दिस इज विद रिगार्ड टू हफ्ता टू फोर्टी नाइन स्पेसिफिकली द कॉन्वर्जेशन अराउंड आतिश तासीर वाई आई एग्री दैट दिस गवर्नमेंट माइंड बी विंडिक्टिव इन जनरल द केस इज ऑन गोपीनाथ एटेल डू सीम टू बी लेट्स नॉट पेंट एवरीथिंग विद दैट ब्रश पर्टिकली वेन इट कम्स टू आतिश तासीर द रूल आर क्वाइट क्लियर यू कैन नॉट हैव एन ओ सी आई इफ एनी पेरेंट or grandparent is a pakistani or bangladeshi you might not not like those rules and not do i but the fact that atish is a columnist does not place him above those rules if i were to withhold information in an application form if revealed would lead to my disqualification then the term for such an act is fraud and i would always be at risk of being punished for it why should the same rules not apply to atish the rules do not state that you are allowed to withhold information about your father if you have published a book in which you identified him the rules don't state that they apply only to people who are a threat to the nation the rules don't state that you are allowed to withhold information in your application if the whole world knows the whole world knows bit which manisha actually said is essential essentially the english translation of tu janta hai mera baap kaun hai an argument that kaun nahi an argument the own panel would disagree with if somebody other than atish made it If people say he is being targeted due to his article, then there is no correct time for the government to take action. Now that he has spoken against his government, any action by them against him is vendetta. Okay, then in 2024, if another government comes to power, all he has to do is write articles critical of them to grant himself a form of moral immunity and instant outrage if the government takes any action. But the rules, he should never have gotten the OCI in the first place. But the government is rarely that efficient. The timing is indeed suspicious, but the government couldn't have done this if Atish hadn't tried to. withhold information in the first place so this attempt to paint him as some sort of victim is not very convincing says sohas uh does anyone have any views on that cuz i do but let me come to anand first before i come around the table see 
first, uh, I am giving a disclaimer. Uh, I am not a fan of Mr. Pratish, hmm. so um, so my views may be biased because of that. Because uh, I uh, like a lot of writers, I don't like and journalists, I don't like. I think uh, he lacks a vital element of writing. He lacks rooted understanding. I say rooted understanding. Understanding he has, but not rooted understanding. Second uh, is that I don't agree with the government of India, uh, say, revoking his IOC, precisely because I don't think it's a very top-level decision. It is the it is just that the hangers-on and sidekicks of the government have some have somehow convinced them that uh, uh, he he needs to be taught a lesson or something or something. So mm. it's poor aesthetics for India. And uh, uh, it's poor aesthetics in a way because the the man may be holding some kind of soft power along the corridors of uh, soft power in uh, world capitals. So it's poor aesthetics as uh, sound and furry for nothing. Uh, what if he holds IOC? What? How does it matter? Right. So it was. I think it it is a vindictive act, but uh, I would not say it is a vindictive act at the top level. But sidekicks of the government hangers on, and uh, he is a victim of say some kind of uh, low politics. Yeah, Manisha. Uh, so yeah, and that uh, everyone knows thing. I think that was said in the context that. You'd expect the Home Ministry, through which a lot of these clearances go, for them to sort of look into. They have intelligence units and all, so they'd probably do a background check if someone's omitted a name. So it was in that context. I find it a bit. So there's been a lot of criticism, right? Of uh, people have pulled out his earlier piece where he's kind of rejoicing the fact that he uh, has gone to America and he he writes this really emotional piece about becoming an American citizen and how happy he is and giving up sort of on India. I. So people have pulled that up and said, you know, if you really, if you were so happy to get an American citizenship, why do you so care about India right now? And I, I find that too practical. And I think sometimes artists or writers don't really operate in that sort of a practical world. You could be, you could love a country but be thoroughly disappointed with it hmm. and want to not live here. I know that a lot of people do think like that now. Do, do we really want to continue to live in this place? So, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love his country. So this whole argument being brought up that. Of course, he's not an activist. He's not someone who's who's going to give up his comforts because he wants to fight for India. He's not. He's not a Sudha Bhardwaj who's in jail. <laughs> yeah, but w- what someone- Suhas said that there is no wrong time to do this, and it is legally completely correct to revoke. That's his- true for everything in India. So it is true that if you're taking on the government, you should be clear that there's nothing they can use against you. That's a simple thing that I. I think everyone should think about which Madhu said that I, there is the yeah, reason you're not in jail is not because yeah, you so can't be it's because the government anything, doesn't want you yeah. in there yet they could find I anything mean, on you it's I remember not, a human rights lawyer saying a long time ago that India doesn't have a justice system it has a legal system and it's the legal system that's used to for vindictiveness hmm. which is true in this case I mean it's clear it's uh, government is being vindictive but I think the amount of coverage and outrage this has generated is very disproportionate I mean you are in a country where 20 million people have been rendered stateless overnight hmm. right so I mean there are more important not that this is not important but there are more important issues to discuss and, and this has generated so much coverage because like I said that power that privilege resides within a very small section of the people and he belongs to that section and that's why people are talking about it. 
they're the people in the media and the government and everywhere also i think it is a bit problematic for, i mean the tavleen singh column where she's basically saying that i was your supporter and i called you up and you didn't pick up my call she's the, talking about or the grandmother saying i voted for you and yet i mean it's yeah for those of you who don't yeah, know I tavleen mean, singh wrote a very entitled piece saying that i was a supporter of the modi government and yet this has happened to me and that i called up the home minister and didn't take my call as if that every journalist has access to that and how unselfconsciously she said that was phenomenal but i'm not surprised because i remember she was very unselfconscious in her criticism of anna saying that this driver what world view can he have he was just a driver in the indian army so uh, <laughs> that's the kind of person so, she is she's like trump basically she doesn't realize when she's being racist or elitist but i disagree with both sohas and mehraj uh, sohas i disagree with you because your uh, you know the legal points you've made are actually not entirely accurate in the sense that there is a supreme court ruling where a mother does not have to disclose who the father of a child is and i have a family who are single parents who have not disclosed that and have no official document where the father's name is there and they continue to have a sole legal uh, right and caretaker parentage to the child and the supreme court has said you cannot force the woman to disclose the father's name because all forms is a bap ka naam bap ka naam they said fuck bap ka naam we don't need bap ka naam so if that rule exists it is at odds with forcing someone to tell you who the father's name is and that too see father can be to today technology allows you to you know do it in a scientific way without any passion and there's the old fashioned way of doing it in the former in the, in the scientific way where there is no passion involved then even if you never met the person but that sperm came from someone who is of pakistani descent does it matter because the the mother is the sole legal guardian and she is the sole provider then it should not matter by basic logic now similarly if instead of it being a scientific kind of process if it was done in the old fashioned way then how can it be different so legally too there is a very good case and i've spoken to a lawyer about this they said yes that case can be made if he were to go to court that my father did not support me I have no legal heir I mean I'm not inheriting he did nothing to bring me up my mother brought me up totally as an indian citizen and if there is a judgment that says you don't have to disclose my father's name then he is an oci because his only legal guardian is his mother so uh, legally sohas you're actually wrong of what i understand if any lawyers are listening to this and have another view do write in and you know correct me or sohas or both or whatever we've done and amiraj i disagree with you while i agree he's privileged and that's why it got the kind of airtime it did but isn't that true for everything we write yes that's exactly what i'm trying to say because this it's only because if you belong in that because his mother writes a piece he writes a piece and is all over twitter people are talking about it sure. there are grave injustices happening every single second in this country yeah, but, but they don't get talked about because those people are not represented in the but media I, and the people who talk about but it but i think what things like this they act as a fulcrum for change because if this happened to 100 other people it would not trigger a debate that may lead to change just like if a vip died in ames then the earth would move and they'd fucking get that machine there if a vip died because of pollution you watch if someone who is close to our supreme leader gets impacted i mean the advantage of not having any family or friends or no childhood memories and nobody who loves you is that nothing affects you but by chance if you had someone who loved you and you had an offspring and that person things change like that so that is how it is if tomorrow 
you know, big film star is caught hunting the black buck. Now suddenly fucking everybody knows. But I can tell you, I know people who've gone hunting. They have stopped after that, man, because now they're shit fucking scared. No, that's true. But it's again, it's an unfortunate situation. It shouldn't be like that. Sure. But th- this is true. Yeah, it happens, and this yeah, is and the I same. Yeah, I think the seeding this would mean. I mean, if Atish Tassi is also symbolic of. I mean, if the government can do this to him, who's an acclaimed writer, he's a columnist, he's kind of a prominent guy, then it means that you can really be brazening it out with a lot of other people who are less privileged than they him. They did already, like 20 million people, yeah. 2 million people yeah. in a In fact, he still has a place to go to. Those guys have no place to go yeah, to. Yeah. It's not like Bangladesh saying, Aa jao, or Pakistan saying, come back. With his... Uh, yeah, with his networks, he'll definitely won't be affected in the way that obviously... Dude, he lives in a lovely yeah. place in Manhattan. He's... Dude, what are you saying? But then I think, but then I do think that you can't compare it to an NRC situation because I just think they're different. No, but obviously and you I, can't I think let for it him pass. as a writer to not be able to come back to a country from where he sourced a lot of his inspiration or material, it's it's a different kind of bond. No, no you of can't, course you can't let you know, it pass. Every yeah. single injustice is still an injustice. I'm saying that, I mean, there are bigger things, more important things. I mean, we can't things. compare the heartbreak. It's yeah. it's it's a different plane. Okay, now before. Uh, uh, Mehraj gives us the context of what's happening in JNU because last two nights prime time there was some statue of Vivekanand that was not desecrated but the earth around it was and that <laughs> led to a lot of this thing but I have Manish Shokin's 704 word email we won't put the whole I won't read the whole thing out that's a piece 700 words that's a piece exactly it's a piece it's not a mail so we'll publish it although he has basically the net of what he's saying is that we had an extremely ill-informed discussion on uh, pollution last hafta. So he has said that below are the steps taken by the Delhi government. I think someone suggested, including me, that the Delhi government has not done enough. And he has said, while we are wrong, obviously Manish is a huge fan of AAP. So he has actually said at such and such time code, this is what we said at 28 minutes, 40 seconds. It was said stubble burning is contributing in single digits to Delhi pollution. He's linked the Suffer report that shows it's way more at... um, 29 minutes, someone said, where will power come from? He has said the Delhi shutdown of coal-based power and where will the power come from? The happy seed machine. So Manish has actually put out, I'm impressed Manish, in case you want to work in research or actually doing hard data-backed pieces, do come to News Laundry and do a piece for us because I'm very impressed with your meticulousness and the time you've taken to set our fundas right that where you say that AAP has done a significant amount of work and all that other stuff that can be done for the environment. Uh, There's this one point, the single digit pollution. Right. I mean, when we we were talking about it in the like overall context in these two, three weeks. Yeah, it's a lot. That's it because up, in the rest, the, rest of the year, there is no stubble burning. There, so yeah, so yeah. yeah, that's the thing. I think that's what the uh, our colleague from the down to earth journalist, you know, carbon, who, copy. Uh, carbon, carbon copy, copy, who had come, he said that it varies. It varies. So through yeah. the year, you cannot say that this is how much the percentage is. Today, X ka itta zada or Y ka itta kam hai. Two months from later, Y ka zada ho sakta hai, X ka kam ho sakta hai. So that is why it's very hard to say that this is the breakup. Also because burning happens only in this season. I mean, right. the rest of the season, it and barely I, anything. And even otherwise, even then, day to day changes. It changes. Even true. the rest of day to day. So I think that's the point. So, but Manish, thank you for your mail. We'll be publishing on our website. Uh, now tell us, Mehraj, what happened in JNU? So on 28th of October... The JNU administration updated the hostel manual. What they said is they increased the hostel fees by about 1,000%. There was a dress code 
for everybody whoever comes to eat in the mess they'll be appropriately dressed there was the boys and girls can't go to each other's hostels there's an 11 pm curfew hmm. now first problem what the students are saying is the committee that did this they are supposed to have a representative from the students union when no they sense. make the decision there was none second uh, thing is then when they started protesting against this their thing is the single seater room the current the rent was 20 rupees a day it has been it was increased to 600 similarly for a double seater room the rent was 10 rupees and it was increased to 200 rupees and they introduced a new something called utility charges it's for electricity service charges and part 1700 bucks and there's a one time refundable uh, security mess security which was 5500 rupees for a year and they increased it to 12000 uh, rupees so overall it comes it goes from 2740 rupees a year to 30100 rupees a year right so the jump is about 999% and not just in percentage in absolute basic purchasing power terms also it's exactly so that that is the thing so students with a family income of less than 2 lakh rupees get a 2000 rupee grant per, per month but 40% of the students have family incomes less than even 1 and 1/2 lakh rupees right so how are they going to pay for it yeah yeah so and, and like jnu is one of the few universities that has people from really underprivileged backgrounds doing pursuing really higher education like and such smart smart kids yeah. so when this thing started they asked vice chancellor to come and talk to them let's figure this out he didn't come so what they did is they filed a missing persons complaint at the vasanthgunj station <laughs> i see and they put a poster uh, posters all over the university hmm. vice chancellor is missing really funny like with really funny pictures really smart and because the administration had sent a show cause notice to some of the protesting students so these guys the students union sent their own show cause notice to the vice chancellor it's really funny i have to read it mm. a little bit from it so it says it has been found that you the vice chancellor have been found to be involved in anti student activities then it says a lot of stuff and then says in addition to these you have not replied to multiple attempts at communication from the from this office in this matter this is an act of indiscipline and misconduct <laughs> <laughs> for due process of natural justice your reply should reach the competent authority latest by 4th of november failing which it will be presumed that you have nothing to say in your defense and the competent authority will be free to take appropriate action against you and it's signed competent authority jnu students union Really, really smart. And actually, people. after the fee hike, JNU is going to be one of the most expensive universities uh, higher for ed- higher education. Way more expensive than BHU, Pondicherry University, Vishwabharati University, like a bunch of even DU. So it's actually going to be more expensive than my, these universities. Um, I, when I was in college, my annual fee was sixteen hundred bucks. One thousand six hundred was my whole salary fee. Um, so of course, I mean, we all have. You shouldn't pay, be paying anything for education for healthcare. It should be free. Oh I mean, yeah, I mean, of course. In in a country like India, yeah. that's a far cry. But I I think now coming to this that whole it that there was a, there's a statue of Vivekananda that still hasn't been unfurled. It is wrapped up in a saffron cloth. Below that, some students had written "Bhagwa Jalega." Yeah, and something else, and they Fuck sort of BGP. said "Fuck," which is like, I mean, it's nothing. It was yeah, and that became this whole talking point at prime time, which was a disaster. But uh, yeah, so so that's basically what happened. On that, let me again start with Anand since he's not here. Did you see this news? What is your take? Is it an unreasonable hike, or do you think this whole um, and of course Smita Prakash's tweet? We'll discuss that as well. Okay, uh, so. Uh... 
I had two points. I wanted to write a piece on it, but I thought it's just uh, one thought. I cannot stretch it to a piece. I two things. First is that one. There was a um, report in NDTV on NDTV website, and it had a photograph of a girl in Jenu who was there to study Pashto, Pashto language, and she is reading a book, uh, Indian Polity. Uh, which, which, uh, by look of it, looks like a popular guidebook for civil services examination. So uh, that is indicative of a lot of things. Second is uh, of things that uh, it is not only a genuine thing uh, in the EU, in Allahabad University, in Pakistan University. There's humanities postgraduate research, postdoctoral research. Now, you, if you see, I, I have. Lived uh, half of my life there, so it's uh, basically you are doing different things in name of pursuing a course. So uh, when this old rhetoric comes that uh, this is denial of some kind of great intellectual activity, uh, I don't buy that argument. But okay, yes, there are practical concerns in life which have to be taken care of. One has to make a career. So if the state is facilitating a subsidized state, even if you are not doing the thing that you are there for, okay, I, that's also okay with me. Second thing is that there is a lot of jealousy among uh, others because of the uh, difference, because of the difference in the facilities that universities like if you especially at DU or JNU, or you see hostel facilities in, say, uh, class two cities or even in smaller towns. Now, though the fee may look same, but the kind of facilities they have in the prime locations of a metropolitan city, uh, I think it's uh, not really just to compare. And for that, uh, there is a lot of hinterland jealousy with that. that so I myself lived in a university, Delhi University room, which was saved, which would accommodate to five, six people. And it had a British era fireplace, which we never used. But anyway, and I, I was single in that room. Hmm. I had four times, four times meals. I don't eat that kind of food at my home, that kind of expensive food. Mm. And I treated uh, like a royal there. So uh, to, to, I don't think I did anything. I, I, at the end of the year, I read ten, for 10 days and wrote an examination and passed that examination to avail my hostel for next year. So I myself feel guilty of uh, throwing away the, the subsidies for different things. And I was not alone. I can tell you 60-70% of university population in India is like that. No, absolutely. So, I think uh, even Delhi University Jubilee Hall, all those halls people are doing postgrad. But I think that's, uh, even when I go to the US, you know, when we go to these conferences, we do them at the Harvard uh, University, we do it at Columbia. A lot of people come from MIT. I asked them, what do you postdoc on that? I said, how long? You know, five, six years. I said, is that what you want? He said, no, I'll figure it out, but I got a grant, so I'm doing it. Because that's the only way I can stay in the US. So, like Anand said, I don't think it's only a JNU or an Allahabad University or Patna. 
it's a worldwide phenomenon that's the only mm. way those guys can afford to live in boston that's the only way those guys can afford to live in new york otherwise there's no way they can afford mm. those cities so th- mm. that happens the world over i just find so while anand's point on jealousy may be true and justified you know someone who's from a small town gets admission to a small place they think but what reason does rahul shivshankar arnab have to be jealous i mean you guys have <laughs> i think most, i think I mean, there's intellectual jealousy also because these guys are like and and you know this is one thing i'll tell you of the privileged their lack of acknowledgement of privilege see you can't do anything about privilege that is that is the world someone will have more than others the best you can do is acknowledge that you have the privilege and what gets my god like even vivek agnihotri doesn't even understand that being a brahmin does give you a certain privilege i went to what is considered by many although we have two interns in office by the way i said i was asking them to write a note and i mentioned doon school they had never heard of doon school so i'm amazed that we live in 2019 there are people college students who never heard of doon school which is actually good it's great i think <laughs> yeah. so but i when i went to school i have friends who drive cars worth 30 lakhs who say why the fuck should i have to pay such a heavy duty because i want a car worth a crore i did not avail of any subsidy I was like fucker we paid 12000 rupees a year for a campus that if we had to pay market rate for because the noon school campus we pay 1 rupee a year for the lease if you pay market rate for the campus our parents would never afford to send us there also if you're driving a 1 crore car don't drive it on a road which is funded by like taxpayer yeah then go make your own <laughs> yeah. and that's the thing i think people who have privilege are not aware that you were also subsidized just like we should be paying a tax for every ac every light that is on in this office right now because while we have two air filters running the aqi outside is killing the kids who don't have can't afford air filters or even afford a room their health has been damaged by our cars our co- consumption so in a sense their health has subsidized our comfort if you to quantify each of these you know the thing is that i don't know whether are privileged are that ignorant that illiterate or we just are so used to that the poor are there to serve our needs but the hate uh, among media people for jnu like sudhir and all it's really something i really like to understand where it comes from he ran this complete i mean it was just a rant where he's like ye log ye log 10 rupees nahi de sakte hostel ke liye aam taur pe to ye 300 rupees dete hain coffee ke liye i'm like dude <laughs> I mean one it's ideological because these people stand against everything yeah, I mean, Rahul also... Shankar and the rest stand for another thing I think I mean maybe this is a bit of a generalization there's intellectual like inferiority yeah. also sure, that, and these guys are like smart and, yeah and these people so coming maybe... from like like you said poor families marginalized families and they're just like the brilliant you're not the used to that confidence coming confidence from... and brilliant like intellectually very no, very I, I think one great. is a curious expectation that i see from a lot of people that smita prakash is that why do you indulge in politics and not study fuck i think university students must indulge in politics why are you getting educated if not to run the country tomorrow or get like for example the one thing that i find strange about bombay university is how completely devoid of politics it is which is why my bombay viewers will going to curse me on this which is why that news track story we did years ago of bombay versus delhi bombay came out looking so stupid it's a <laughs> city for hard working dumb people uh, that's what it came because don't underestimate ambani at at a university level there's they don't inculcate dissent and thought and if you don't learn it there where else will you learn it at your workplace private workplace where you don't have a say in anything but smita prakash is also wrong in many ways because 
uh, when you study Russian, Chinese, Japanese, you have great opportunities to work in MNCs. Yeah. Uh, for those with context, her tweet was that I saw that one of the profiles of the kids was studying postdoc Russian. Why would someone study Russian? Uh, or Pashto. Pashto, actually, if you want to join the IB, it's a good sort of gives you an edge if you have. And it's not a full-time course. It's like a part-time course in the language. So languages do offer Chinese, especially if you learn Chinese, you, there's some really good job offers for yeah, you. Yeah, and that shouldn't even be a consideration. But, yeah. I mean, you are learning Russian to read Tolstoy in Russian. <laughs> what else do you need? I mean, yeah. I find, yeah, it's it's kind of very similar to what a lot of students in India go through when they finish their 10th, you know, and it's like sciences, low arts, but what will you do? job will Medical or non-medical, low. Like, arts students just look down as like, yeah. why do you even exist? What job opportunities can... And I find that very, very stifling and irritating. And on that note, I shall take everybody's recommendations. Um, let's start with you, Anand. Yes, so, uh, in newspapers here, the, today, the the news that has hot headline is ironically not Sabri Madar or even the Rafael. It's the passing of a overview of a mathematician, uh, Rashish Narayan Singh. Yes. So, um, I my recommendation is uh, related to him in 2013. Uh, there was a cover story, uh, a series of cover stories, I should say, done by a vernacular daily cover about him in 2013. Uh, I thought it was a, a good profile, a good narration of different stages in his life. So that one. Uh, one recommendation is that. Second is, during my intervention on Ayodhya issue in the discussion, I talked about Nepal's book, uh, India Wounded Civilization. So, um, on the, it's a collection of essays about what, uh, what to say the scar vandalism in delivered vandalism had on Indian psyche and how it carried on. So, that the second and third is uh, a piece by Sandeepan Babe in Mint um, in which he talks about his cover story and outlook about ASI findings and how his colleagues uh, badmouth him about uh, writing about what was actually a state funded uh, survey and findings about it I found it strange why should someone badmouth him mm. about that if it's an inconvenient to one's ideology so I think that's a good piece it, about uh, seeing the balance of power in newsrooms. So right. Thank you, Anand. That, that, uh, so that gives three recommendations. Okay. Anand, I forgot to ask you, what is the AQI in Patna like? I was just going to ask him that. <laughs> what? What's the AQI? It, 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 it is bad here also. How bad? So I see, I, I see, you know, I see reports that uh, uh, air quality is severe. Okay, uh, you're not just saying that in case I feel jealous and call you back, right? No, no, I am not. <laughs> so I, 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 if, if I have to die, better die at home. <laughs> okay, fine. Now tell me, Raj. So since uh, Sabri Mala is back in the news, there's an old, pe- old piece uh, published by the caravan. It's, a, it, it's called Sabri Mala and the Brahmanization of an Adivasi Deity. So it's a good piece laying right. out the history of the shrine. Thank you. Manisha? Uh, so, yeah, just on the Sandeepan Dev piece, I actually went back to the Outlook piece that he wrote. And he Sandeepan also says that Vinod Mehta regretted publishing it towards the end. He was asked in an interview, which is, did you ever, you know, regret publishing something? And he said, yeah, that piece. And I actually went back to it and I see why he would have regretted it because Sandeepan's piece, 
I don't know. I mean, that time, I guess there was this fervor, and ASI officials also went a little overboard and enthusiastic. But they've actually spoken about that the fact that we have proof that Ram Temple was destroyed to a, for a mosque, and it Which, turns out there's no proof for right. that. So I, I see why so that no, could have been. One of the point is that he reported. Yeah, yeah, hmm. sure, and and yeah, I mean, it's a report, and I mean, now even you can say it was wrong, right? Even if the claims were exaggerated, the exaggerations need to be reported. Hmm. Ha, true. But maybe I don't know. Maybe he wanted him to be more skeptical to what the ASI was claiming. But anyway, so that's that aside. Uh, I would really recommend uh, watching this tape uh, by eyewitness where Shima Chisti reported on the demolition of the Babri Masjid and the aftermath of it. And I found it very fascinating that so she talks about the demolition and what happens and there's really good account of everything that went on where VHP guys have said that we were practicing you know we practiced the demolition and all that and then they do a segment where they go around i think cp it looks like cp or delhi where they're asking people what do they think of the demolition and it was very amazing to see a lot of people back then support it yeah. and english speaking i'm not talking about provincial vhp whatever but english speaking people saying that you know acha hua and we found out that babri masjid ke brick ke piche ram ki chopai likhi hui thi so I was like, okay, wow. I mean, it's nice to know that this hasn't come from nowhere. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's been like years of right. the sense that... Yeah, the Sankari and I, I was very uh, as amazed by like even young college kids saying that great, achha hua. You know, this should have happened and this was a Ram temple. And no, Sankari Wad put lots and lots of yeah, years yeah. into it. I mean, yeah, that's what VHP like, was raised precisely for this. So, so yeah. it's, it's good to take note of the fact that there's this a hasn't come out of it, nowhere. Yeah. So I... I have uh, actually two pieces that I thought I really enjoyed and I usually don't suggest news laundry pieces you've noticed I very rarely do but I honestly didn't see any really good writing that I can recommend this week other than uh, Anand's piece on TN session which Madhu also recommended I thought very well written Anand I think you're an obituary specialist I'm going to die because balance matlab, he does the good and the bad but without seeming you know, graceless. Because when someone's right, you can't say what, what a dick he was. But you yeah. critique it enough. So, I like uh, Raman's piece on his first hand Ayodhya, account yeah. at the demolition because he was yeah. there. And like someone said, Raman has been a part of pretty much every big story in the last 20-30 years. So, that's great. But two pieces I want to recommend for not how good they were, but how bad they were. One is Tavleen's piece on Atish. <laughs> <laughs> it, like a journalist saying the kind of things she did that I told him don't write this because he's going to win. I called up the Home Minister, how dare he not pick up my... Not how dare, but you know, the pre- privilege reeks of. And the second is R. Jagannathan's piece in Mint that temple tourism can save India. So actually building <laughs> temples is a great economic. It's the antidote to slow down. Antidote to slow down. Now, I've known Jaggi, I've <laughs> liked Jaggi, I've seen that he has some very good insights into the economy. But I just thought that, for me, said all that is to be said about the world we live in, that People, rational, smart people, you know, make arguments that are so bizarre, which cannot be backed by any numbers, no matter how much you exaggerate them, and that are founded on demonstrable falsehoods. Like, uh, he starts off by saying that Karl Marx could not have got more wrong when he reduced religion to opium of the people. He says, basically, he says, whatever the pros and cons, In a, basically, he says, I've forgotten what that line is, that everybody knows that Tourism only prospers because of cultural, historical and such monuments and stuff, which is actually not true at all. It The single biggest determinant of tourism is ease and safety. Safety of the tourist, how safe a tourist feels and ease of moving around. These are the two single biggest determinants 
ऑफ टूरिज्म अदरवाइज हिस्ट्री वैसे पाकिस्तान में भी काफ़ी है अफगानिस्तान में भी काफ़ी है लेकिन कोई जाएगा नहीं वहाँ तो आई जस्ट थाट दैट वाओ ए अ पर्सन ऑफ जगीज कैलेबर कैन राइट दैट एंड बी मिंट कैन पब्लिश इट वेल या एंड ऑन दिट लाइक ही वॉज अच्छा खासा ही वॉज गेटिंग सिंपती टिल शी रोट इंडिया but then the dust that would rise would kill us anyway <laughs> anyway getting killed on that note i shall leave you with thanks anand take care you can uh, you. take the phone off you must be having a headache i look forward to another wonderful piece from you and uh, you. hope all's well in bihar and uh, please write in to us at contact@newslawney.com if you have any suggestions or or recommendations write to us at contact@newslawney.com if you have any abuse to leave you can leave it on manisha's twitter timeline and i just like to reiterate madhu has stepped down as editor in chief but she will continue to be our at least my guiding light guiding and, light and and there's much i have learned from her from the time i got my first job to the time i had my last or my only job actually and our tech is being fixed in another week or maybe 10 days we will be moving to another cms which will be a lot easier to use you will see it will take us longer to build the app but in the meantime the app will be just fine it will work like makhan so you should all delete the app for now until we launch our new app and uh, do subscribe to newslaundry.com go to the top right hand corner and click on subscribe and pay to keep news free because when the public pays the public is served when advertisers pay advertisers are served i will leave you now with a song which i think is pashto and any of you who studying that it's such a beautiful song i'd love to know what it means which song this one jashmat ke wa News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.